0: morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba.
1: Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the uh, pastors at the church. Uh, Thank you for being with us. I hope you're uh, enjoying our service so far today. Uh, As you can see, we're in the book of Genesis at the moment. Uh, And we're looking particularly uh, at Abraham, uh, learning from Abraham about what it means to trust God. Uh, And we've come to today this very uh, intense story. Uh, I'm sorry, for a long weekend, it kind of feels like we should have something a bit lighter, doesn't it? Uh, This story is powerful, uh, emotional, I think, uh, and and quite possibly upsetting for lots of us. I'm sure uh, some of us have heard it before. Uh, Some of us maybe have even just heard it for the first time. I actually have a very clear memory of the very first time I heard this story. Uh, I think for me, it's the only passage in the Bible uh, where I can actually remember the first time that I I heard the story. I remember I was sitting uh, in church. Uh, I grew up going to church. I think I was probably 10 or 11 or something like that. Uh, We didn't have a kid's church, uh, the little church I went to. So I I, I used to sit in church, uh, draw pictures, uh, things like that. But uh, I remember the the morning that this story was read out. Uh, And I can remember sitting there in church and and hearing Abraham uh, told to kill his son. You almost do a double take, don't you? I I think I can remember actually almost feeling physically sick. What are we reading? What is God doing? And then hearing that Abraham was going to obey. No, Abraham, what are you doing? Surely this isn't an instruction that you should be following. And remember, this is the first time I would ever heard the story, uh, so I didn't know how it was going to end, and uh, probably as well, because I was the right age, uh, I was probably picturing myself as Isaac, uh, you know, maybe picturing my dad as Abraham, all sorts of complex issues uh, coming through. It, it fills you with dread, doesn't it? The whole story uh, causes such intense emotions, which I guess is why I can uh, remember it so well. Uh, one of the reasons, by the way, that this story, I think it does target our emotions uh, I was talking to someone this week who's studied literature and things like that, uh, and they were saying that even in the secular world, uh, the experts will say that this story that we've just had read out is regarded as one of the great examples of ancient storytelling. Uh, you might have noticed a few things like how the story sort of starts off quickly, they, they have this three-day journey, uh, they, and, then, and then it slows down as it starts to reach its climax. There's that haunting line where uh, Isaac says, Father, the Fire and water here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Oh, it just gets at you, doesn't it? And then oh, the story almost slows right down to slow motion as Abraham takes the knife, takes the knife up into the air, and then right at the last minute, the angel intervenes. No, Abraham, don't lay a hand on him. Stop. And then God provides the ram for the sacrifice. It's an incredible story, incredibly well written and incredibly carefully crafted to provoke our deepest emotions Uh, but it's also a shocking story isn't it Uh, when you think about it it makes you ask some big questions about god is is god cruel you know to make someone almost sacrifice their child and then stop at the last minute Can a god like that really be trusted and what is this story actually here for anyway what is it trying to show us Well, we're going to spend some time this morning thinking about this story together. Uh, I'm sorry, it is a long weekend, but we're going to try and do some hard thinking and try to make sure we understand it properly. It is an intense story, isn't it? A hard story. Uh, But actually, I I do want to say right from the outset, I think often this story is misunderstood. I think even Christians over the years have gotten this story a little bit back to front at times. uh, And I'll try and explain what I mean by that. I actually think if we understand this story correctly... Uh, It shows us that God is not a cruel God. Uh, I think this story actually shows us that God is a generous God, a loving God, uh, a God who provides. He's not like the other ancient gods who demand all sorts of things uh, from their followers. He's the sort of God you want to trust uh, and you want to follow. Well, three points for us this morning. Uh, Three things. They're on the Sunday Hub too if you'd like to have a look, but uh, here they are on the screen. Uh, Three things to think about as we try and get our head around what I think this story is all about. Uh, So number one, the horror of the test. Number two, the extremity of the trust. And number three, the joy of the provision. First of all, the horror of the test. Let's um, jump back into our passage for a little bit. It starts off like this. Uh, It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. So notice right from the start, it's a test. It's a test. Uh, as the reader, we're meant to know that straight away, exactly exactly what it means that God tests people and exactly what the test is kind of meant to be and why God needs to test Abraham. Well, we'll talk about that, but uh, we know it's a test. Uh, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied. Uh, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you uh, the horror of the test. This is horrific, isn't it? How do you feel reading these words? Uh, horrific. Go to the mountain, sacrifice your son there, your, your one and only son, the son you love. I um, And it's just awful, isn't it? I uh, imagine as we shared in big days, we're having our youngest daughter baptised next week. It's uh, going to be a great day celebrating God's goodness, her, welcoming her into God's church. Uh, but imagine in, if instead of getting ready for her baptism, we were getting ready to sacrifice her and put her to death. Uh, it's, I wasn't going to use that example. It's, it's my child. I probably wouldn't have used it if it was anyone else. But uh, I thought it's stuck. But these are the horrific things and, and feelings that we're meant to be feeling as we read something this shocking. Uh, and Abraham, he's the one who's told this shocking thing is what he has to do and what does he do well early the next morning abraham got up and loaded his donkey he took his took two of his his servants and his son isaac and when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering he set up for the place god had told him about you might be reminded of something as you're reading this uh remember right back to the start of abraham's story genesis 12 god says to abraham get up and go to the place I'll show you, and again here, get up and go, and again Abraham obeys. But those two stories might be similar, but on the other hand, they're totally different, aren't they? Genesis 12, go off to another country, sure, but here, go off and sacrifice your son. It's pretty different, isn't it? And here's a question I think it's good to ask. Do you think Abraham's even doing the right thing here by actually obeying God? Do you think he's actually right to trust God and and follow what God says he should do. We know it's a test. Maybe it's a sort of test that he's not meant to obey. There's a, um, there's a C.S. Lewis book, The Silver Chair, Narnia book. Uh, the two children in the book, the, the two heroes, they're on a quest. Uh, and they meet, uh, when they're on this quest, they meet this prince, Prince Rillian. Prince and Prince Rillian tells them that he's under a curse. Uh, what happens is every day for one hour, he becomes a madman. And so for that hour, he's kind of strapped down, tied down uh, to this chair, the, the silver chair. That's the title of the book. Uh, and this one afternoon, the hour is about to start, uh, and he tells the children, whatever you do, whatever you do in this hour, do not set me free. Even if I tell you to set me free, even if I beg you to set me free, don't listen to me. That's not the real me. For this one hour, don't do what I say. Wait till the hour's up, uh, and then you can let me out again. And that happens, the prince is, the prince is tied down, and he does go mad, except actually, he's a little bit less mad than the children expected. And this prince, once he's tied down, he tries to convince them that actually the curse is the other way around. It's this hour of the day when he's his true self, that it's the other 23 hours is the guy that you shouldn't listen to. So they have this test, you know, which which one is the real one? You know, do, do we trust this guy who's strapped down for this one hour or do we trust the one who's telling us uh, things for the other 23 hours of the day? They have this test, they have to figure out which one to believe. Is this the kind of test that Abraham uh, is being put through by God? Most of the time, God tells you he's against violence. He's, he, you know, he should never do something like kill a, kill a child. What are you going to do? You know, are you going to listen to that God or are you going to listen to this God? Which God is the real God? Is it that kind of test? Maybe the test is Abraham's meant to say, oh, no, God, I'm not going to do that. And God would say, "Ah, oh, well done, you passed the test. I was just testing you. I didn't want, want you to obey that one anyway. just wanted to see what you would do. You got me? Is that it? Is it that kind of test? Well, I was thinking about this week and doing some reading. Uh, One thing I found really helpful, a lot of commentators will talk about this. They um, they talk about how Abraham himself would have understood the test. How Abraham, given his time and his culture, uh, how he would have understood this request from God. Uh, But back in Abraham's time, um, it, it wouldn't have been any less horrifying. It wouldn't have been any less upsetting, anything like that. It's still a totally horrific idea to sacrifice a child. Uh, but there is, I think, one important thing that Abraham would have got that perhaps we wouldn't necessarily uh, understand when we read about this test. And that is that because Isaac, his, his son, was Sarah's firstborn son, uh, that meant that Isaac belonged to God. Isaac, the firstborn son, he would have belonged to God. That would have been clear for someone like Abraham. It was an important principle in these ancient times, right through, right through the Old Testament, actually, the, the first. Uh, it even applies to things like the first crops of a harvest belong to God or, or the firstborn animals belong to God. It, it's an expression of trust. If you can trust God with kind of your first crops of your harvest, it's a way of saying, well, I trust that God's going to provide more. We even saw that uh, as far back as Genesis 4, actually. You might remember uh, Abel trusted God, uh, and so he was happy to provide some of his his firstborn lambs to god he was happy to provide some of his first yeah first first lambs first crops so abraham would have still been shocked he would have still been upset he would have still been horrified uh, but he would have actually understood that isaac in some some funny way did belong to god that actually isaac's life was god's to direct isaac's life was Gods to decide what he would do with. Uh, So in some strange way, uh, Abraham would have understood that this request God made was a just request. One person I was reading said it like this. If if God had asked Abraham to kill Sarah, Abraham would have said absolutely no way. Uh, But this is different. This is God asking for something that he had the right to ask for. It's God calling in what he owed calling in his debt. It's justice. And uh, I don't expect us to really get on board with this idea. We still find it odd. Uh, We probably don't really agree that it is just, but this is seemingly what would have been understood in these ancient times. We'll see that later in the Bible, even in, say, the Passover story uh, in Exodus. You remember the Passover story? Uh, It was the firstborn Egyptians uh, who God had the right to take their lives. Uh, And by the way, you remember the firstborn Israelites actually had to be paid for too. Remember, they had to be paid for uh, by the blood of the lamb. Uh, A bit of a connection there, isn't there? Now, none of this makes the test any less horrible. None of this makes the test any less brutal. But what it does show us is that actually Abraham is doing the right thing. The test is, will you trust God to do what he is within his rights to do? Will you trust God to do what he is within his rights to do? Now, this is pretty heavy, isn't it? Before we go on, uh, let me make a couple of things pretty clear uh, in case anyone's getting the wrong idea. Here's the bit you know, to hear if, you've, if you're tuned out or if you don't hear anything else. Uh, does this story mean we should sacrifice our children figuratively, literally, any of that? No, no. Uh, does the story mean we should be willing to neglect others, do, do awful things that aren't God's way, uh, even if we're doing it for God? No, no, it doesn't mean any of that need to live God's way. Uh, I think God does test us today, by the way. I I think he does test us, if you're wondering that. But I also think it's not quite like what we might think. It's not the trick question sort of test. It's not the, you know, like sitting a year 12 exam um, and trying to get a high enough mark sort of test. Shout out to the year 12s, a few weeks to go. Um, It's more like what we talked about earlier, this term actually, in James. Uh, It's more like how he puts us through trials. He puts us through Harder times, difficult situations. And he uses those situations to grow our trust and our faith. Um, You might be in the middle of a harder situation at the moment. I know some of us are. Uh, Grief situations, health challenges, uh, physical or mental. Sometimes we're in situations and it feels like God is just trying to break us. Awful things. Uh, But I'm sure lots of us can also look back at some of those hard times that we've come through and see how God has used those situations to grow our trust. And so if we trust him, we can trust that he does know what's better for us in the long run. Doesn't mean situations are easy, but it is encouraged, is an encouragement to trust God and trust that he knows what he's doing. An encouragement to keep living his way, uh, even when we might want to do something different. If you go through a hard situation and you come out the other side trusting God even more, then that is a really good sign, isn't it? That your faith has been tested and your faith is resilient and that your trust is real. Which, speaking of trust, brings us on to our second point. Point one, the horror of the test. Point two, the extremity of the trust. Let's keep trying to understand this story from Abraham's perspective. Let's keep putting ourselves in his shoes for a little bit. Uh, Think about what Abraham must have been feeling. He'd just been given this awful... Instruction: Take your son, sacrifice your son. And okay, yeah, maybe he understands a little bit differently to what we do. Maybe he understands that there's a justice there. Uh, but I think another good question to ask is, how does he? How does he do it? How does he? How does he trust God with this instruction? How does he keep going? You know, to obey God for a, a, a little minute or two is is one thing. But did you notice uh, in verse four that he has to travel for three days? to get to this place uh, where, where the incident on the mountain happens. Just imagine being on that three-day uh, road trip. How many times do you think he thought about turning around, going back, almost decided, no, I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going to do this. I'm going back. This is his son. Now, if you've been, us, been with us the past few months, uh, past past month, I should say, uh, we've been following Abraham and Sarah's journey, haven't we? Waiting for this son to come along. Talked about... How much of their hope is in this child? How much of God's promises are all wrapped up in this child, Isaac? If you've been with us, you'll know a little bit about what's at stake here. This is, this is God's promised, promised child to Abraham and Sarah. How does he keep going? Well, I want to say this morning that I think the answer to that question is this. I think Abraham keeps going because he trusts that it's going to be okay. I think Abraham keeps going because he actually trusts that it's going to be okay. Uh, I think he actually knows that something else is going on. I think he actually's got that idea in the back of his mind. Why do I say that? Well, I think there are a couple of clues. The first one's really easy to miss, but let's have a, just a quick look at verse five. He's gone on the three day journey. They've gotten to the mountain. Abraham's just saying goodbye to his servants. Uh, have a look at what he says. He says, "Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship." and then we will come back to you. Both I and my son will come back to you. Now, I don't know what your first reaction to this is. When I read this, to be honest, I think, well, Abraham's just lying. You know, he needs to tell his servants this so that they're not suspicious. You know, of course he would say something like this, right? But could it be be that he actually means it, that he's actually genuine? We will worship and then we will come back to you. Maybe. There's another clue. A couple of verses later, this is this, probably the section that I find the most awful, the the haunting kind of line from Isaac. Uh, Isaac speaks up and says, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Have a look, though, at what Abraham says in reply. At first glance, again, you might think Abraham's lying to make Isaac go along with it. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Again, it could be a little bit ambiguous. Abraham probably could be telling a little fib to get Isaac to go along with what he's doing. But could it be that he actually knows that God's going to do something? Is that how he keeps going? Well, we'd be left wondering about this question, except when we come to the New Testament, as we've already seen in the kids' talk, the author of Hebrews Gives us a little bit more detail. Actually tells us what Abraham was thinking. Let's have a look. Hebrews chapter eleven. It says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. What's Hebrews saying? Well, it's saying that Abraham trusted God. He he knew he knew that even though God had said, Go and sacrifice this child, he also still knew and trusted God's earlier promise of descendants through Isaac. He knew that this promise was still sure. He knew that one way or another, God was still going to make good on what he'd said. And so Abraham, as he was walking along, he would have been thinking. I know this is going to be okay. I know this is going to be okay. I know God's promises are sure. Even if I have to kill Isaac, I know God could even rise him to life again. Remember how miraculous it was, of course, that uh, Isaac was born in in such an old age, uh, for Abraham and Sarah anyway. Abraham knew that God could do remarkable things. And so he trusted that even if he went through with this instruction, God's promise was still sure. That's, I think, how he got up the hill. I think that's how he kept going. He trusted in God. He trusted in God's mercy. He trusted in God's promises. It's extreme trust, isn't it? To do something this intense. It does, I think, make us ask a question about our trust, what the things are that we trust in. You remember when God came to Abraham at the start of the story, he didn't just say, um, by the way, come and, and sacrifice Isaac and kill him. He actually, he says, take your son, take your one and only son whom you love. And it's not just God rubbing it in. It's God saying, this is your everything. This is your security. This is, this is God saying, take that thing, that thing that you value the most, that thing that you love, the thing that you hope in. I want to show you that your trust can't even just be in that son. I want to show that your trust uh, isn't in anything else. I want you to see that your trust is in me. I want want to see that your trust is in me. We, of course, um, have lots of things that we can put our our trust in, good things, uh, our careers, our successes, our positions, our our families, our children, and they're all good things. Uh, They're all good things to cherish and be thankful for and enjoy and make the most of. Uh, But when it comes to that question of where you put your trust, where you put your hope, because even all those good things, your career, you know, you can lose your career really quickly. In fact, everyone's career uh, will come to an end pretty quickly one way or another, won't it? Uh, you can lose your success, you can lose your position, you can lose your family, your family can let you down. Uh, and so if you want to trust in something that is sure, trust in something that is that will last, trust in something that won't let you down, then this passage is saying to us we need to trust in God and His promises. Enjoy all of those other things. They're not even remotely bad things, but your foundation, your trust, should be in God. Abraham's trust has been put to the test in a very extreme way, hasn't it? But he shows that ultimately, his trust is in the right place in God, in God's promises. The horror of the test, the extremity of the trust, Uh, final point, the joy of provision. Now, so far, can I say we've talked about some interesting things. Uh, I've talked about the horror of the test. Yes, it's a horrible test, but Abraham does seem to understand that in some way this is an expression of God's justice. Uh, The extremity of the trust, clearly Abraham has amazing trust uh, in God and in his God's promises. And both of those first two points uh, have had things to say to us. But can I say this last point, point three, the joy of the provision, I've taken a risk by leaving this point to the end uh, because some of us have probably gotten a bit bored and tuned out, which is Okay. Uh, not looking at anyone or in any particular directions, but uh, I, I just want to say this last point. I think if we don't understand this last point, I think we miss the point of the whole passage. Actually, I think we have to understand this last point. Abraham believed in God's justice. He trusted in God's mercy, and both of those things come together in the provision of the Lamb. You know, one one question we've asked a, a lot of questions of this passage today already. Uh, one question you might be wondering as you read this story is what's with the lamb? What's with the lamb? We know how the story ends. Uh, Abraham's about to kill Isaac and God stops him and then they find the lamb, or actually it is a ram, isn't it? But I'm just going to call it a lamb. so I get too confused. Uh, and they sacrifice the lamb instead. But why the lamb? Why the lamb? You know, they could have actually gotten to the end and Abraham's about to kill Isaac and God could have said, stop, stop, stop. You passed the test. You recognized my justice. You trusted me. You trusted in my mercy, well done. Okay, that's over, let's go home. But no, instead they find the ram and they sacrifice the ram instead. Uh, What's with the ram? I think it's partly to show that justice is still done. God is still given the blood that he's owed. But I think the real point is about who provides the sacrifice. Because who provides the sacrifice? It's God. God provides the lamb just as Abraham actually had predicted when he was speaking to Isaac, whether he knew it or not, he said, God is going to provide the sacrifice and God does. And this is really important, really crucial. Why? Well, I've got just one more big question to ask about this passage. I think it's probably actually maybe the biggest question that we've kind of avoided so far. Uh, Why would God ask for a child's sacrifice in the first place? You're wondering that why would God ask for a child sacrifice in the first place? If child sacrifice is such an evil thing, and it is an evil thing, the Bible makes that clear that it's just a detestable, awful thing. Child sacrifice. If child sacrifice is such an evil thing, how could God, who's meant to be good, ask for a child sacrifice? How how could He do that? Well, think about how someone would come to sacrifice a child. I know it's an awful thing to think about, but... Child sacrifice has been very common throughout history in all sorts of cultures, all sorts of different pagan religions. Uh, Think about how you would come to sacrifice a child. Imagine for a 2nd got a photo here so it can help us sort of imagine, try and imagine for a second that you live in some sort of ancient pagan society and you believe in things like gods who control the weather and control, say, how much harvest you have from your crops. And so you start by making a sacrifice to a god and you know, maybe you sacrifice some grain and you have a good harvest that year and you think, fantastic. And so the next year, you do the same thing again. You sacrifice some more grain and um, you, you keep doing it. This is kind of not a too a strange, too much of a strange thing to us. Um, we're still pretty uh, superstitious here in 2021. Uh, I have a friend who's a Port Adelaide supporter. Uh, earlier in the year, he, he had a drink one night from a Port, Port Adelaide stubby holder. Uh, and Port were playing footy that night and they won. And he said, oh, Fantastic. And so every time Port played for the rest of the year, he drank uh, from that stubby holder. Um, And actually, I don't think he did have a drink from that stubby holder the night they lost. So it might be his fault. It's it's that sort of thing. (laughs) But what would eventually happen, of course, is as you sort of play this superstitious game of sacrificing and, and crops coming, is that one year you'd sacrifice the grain and there'd be a drought. And the harvest isn't so good. What are you thinking? You're thinking, oh, God might be angry at us. Uh, you don't believe in a God of mercy, after all. You might be vengeful or greedy. You know, maybe you need to appease that. Maybe he wants more, and so you sacrifice more. And it isn't like today, where you can just go down to Woolies and uh, get some more food if you run out of food. A bad harvest is actually life and death, isn't it? People don't eat, uh, so you're willing to make big sacrifices. You're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure the weather's good. So eventually, you're desperate. You Maybe you've had another bad harvest, you you sacrifice more and more and more, and so eventually you decide you need to sacrifice something even greater. A human sacrifice, maybe. Maybe even a child. I know it's shocking to think about, isn't it? But that is the way you would think about it if you believed that God was demanding or cruel or, or inconsistent, selfish. We know that our God is not like that. So why would our God ask for a child's sacrifice, and then provide a lamb for the sacrifice instead. And I think it's for this reason, it's because God is trying to show us that he's not like the pagan gods. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, and it's horrific, but also God knew the end of the story. Isaac was never going to die, of course. God knew that. even Abraham seemed to know that, at least in some some way. But what the story is showing us is that God is not like the pagan gods. He's not a God who's constantly needing to be appeased. He's not like the God of other religions today who, who still require all sorts of works and rituals in order to earn, uh, earn God's favor. This God is the God who provides. He provides the sacrifice himself. Remember what the place was called after it all happened? They, they named it after the God who provides. He's the God who doesn't ask anything of us other than our trust. This is, as I said at the start, I think Christians have sometimes got this story wrong over the years. Uh, This is where I think we've we've sometimes got it wrong. Sometimes you'll hear this story preached and you'll hear things like, look at Abraham, he would even sacrifice his child. That means whatever God asks you to do, no matter how crazy we need to obey, you need to be sacrificing more for God and more. i kind of say, it's not totally wrong to be making sacrifices for God and doing things for Him, but... Can cause issues as well. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago, they were talking about how uh, this passage can actually raise a lot of complexities for people because they feel like they've had parents who maybe have sacrificed them for God. Not, not literally, of course, but parents who've maybe not cared well for their kids because doing ministry work is more important. For a different example, I, I came across people, uh, I've come across people, sorry, who work themselves to the bone. Uh, they're doing 80 hours a week Uh, all sorts of church commitments, and it almost feels like they're they're needing to prove themselves to God, trying to earn God's favour. I just want to say, no, 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 hang on, you've got it wrong. Serving God is a wonderful thing to do, but we're serving Him because we're grateful for what He's done for us. We don't have to appease Him or earn His favour. He's the God who provides. He wants us to serve Him joyfully, and yes, we give our lives to Him but it's out of gratitude for his provision. And part of living for God is to love our families and rest and look after ourselves and enjoy his provision. We serve God knowing that our sacrifice has already been provided. Our God is the God who provides. Just one last thing to say before we finish. Uh, We talked about the, the test the trust, the provision. Well, the land that God provided for Abraham and Isaac wasn't, was just a pointer, wasn't it? Uh, do you know Moriah, where, where Abraham and Isaac have to travel to? Uh, Moriah would eventually become uh, known as the hills around Jerusalem. And a couple of thousand years later, it would be on one of those hills that God would again provide another sacrifice. Uh, but this time it would be a sacrifice, not just in the place of one person, Uh, but a sacrifice that would be the substitute for all of God's people. As we've felt this morning, some of that gut-wrenching pain, as we've thought about Abraham offering his one and only son as a sacrifice, Oh, let's remember that God too offered his one and only son as a sacrifice. Only when Jesus went up to that hill in Moriah, and when Jesus was put onto the wood, this time there was no voice to cry out, stop, stop, stop. This time God went through with it. God was willing to sacrifice Jesus. Jesus was willing to die because as painful as the cross was, his love for us was greater. His desire to provide for us was greater. Uh, In 1 John chapter 4, it says it this way, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the God who provides We can know that he loves us. And so we can know that we can trust in him. How about I pray as we finish? Oh Well, our dear Father, this is a tough story that we've thought about this morning. Uh, It's lots to get our head around, but thank you that it's helped us see that you are a God who provides. Uh, You took Abraham up that hill, you took Isaac up that hill, and you did it because you wanted to show us that you are the God who provides the sacrifice yourself thank you that you provided our ultimate sacrifice your one and only son who was killed who was sacrificed in our place help us now to trust in you to live our lives in gratitude to you to live our lives for you and just to rest father uh, in your great love for us we pray this in jesus name amen